Hello, and welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Jeff Schulze, CFA, Investment Strategist at ClearBridge Investments. ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $154 billion in assets under management, committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. ClearBridge tailors our strategies to meet three primary client objectives in our areas of proven expertise, high active share, income solutions, and low volatility. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. So I'm excited to be here today with Deepan Nag, a senior analyst covering the technology hardware sector, and Erica Ferfaro, a senior analyst covering the media and internet industries. Deepan, it's almost been two years since we've had you last in the booth, so welcome back. Great to be back. And Derica, I believe this is your first time on the ClearBridge podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. We're glad that you can join us. So if you've had an AT&T or Verizon wireless account, you've probably noticed the 5G network icon on your smartphone. That's the most visible sign of a major upgrade to wireless and related technologies to the new 5G standard. Now, 5G, it's been eagerly awaited, and in 2020, it's going to begin to permeate through different segments of the economy. And we think that this evolution will impact investment opportunities across several sectors, which we're going to cover in today's podcast titled Readying for a 5G World. So we'd like to get your feedback about the topics that we cover and our podcast and how we can make them better. So you can contact us with questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Now, I don't know about each of you. I'm sure that you feel the same way, but this I think 5G is going to be one of the most exciting and life-changing technologies that we're going to have in the upcoming decade because of the applications that are going to be available for it. I think it's a key reason why China and U.S. are talking about trade wars because this is the focal point for the Made in 2025 initiative from China. And whoever comes out with 5G first is going to have technological supremacy over the next couple of decades. It's going to be a very big boom for their economies. But before we get into kind of the geopolitical parameters, maybe let's take a step back here. What is 5G? I mean, what does the G stand for, Deepine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the G stands for generation. And, ah. you know, basically... <laughs> I, should, about... I should have asked the Google machine that prior. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you think about just like our cell phones, every year we're consuming 50% more data. And that requires a lot of investment in the, in the plumbing of the networks themselves. It means we all have to upgrade our smartphones constantly. Um, but basically every 10 years, a bunch of grand poobahs out there, uh, multinational companies, governments academics come together and really take a fresh piece of paper and try to like envision what the network will look like for the next 10 years and what kind of new use cases may come in. And uh, these are kind of like the next generations of technology, the 3G, the 4G, now the 5G. And so this means that they have to completely overhaul the entire wireless network. It means that all of our phones need to be upgraded. And it means that some of this technology is going to be permeated into new applications, things outside of just the, the, the phone into our cars and you know, our toaster ovens and everything. Everything. Everything's going to talk to one another. That's right. Exactly. So how does that specifically differ from earlier networks, though? I mean, you had written in a note that you sent out to the investment group that, uh, you know, 5G is going to be much more broadly accepted across regions. I mean, it's not going to be piecemealed out like you saw with 3G and 4G. Yeah. You know, the earlier generations, 2G, 3G, 4G, were geographically, they kind of were staggered in their deployment. So, the U.S., Korea, Japan would kind of start the, the the race. You'd see several years later, maybe Europe would jump in, and then China would come in years after that. 5G is actually really globally coordinated. So basically, at the end of this year, in 2021, 5G is going to deploy basically everywhere in the world at the same time. You're also seeing a standard that is the same everywhere. There used to be a lot of different recipes and flavors of 3G and 4G. It's not true for 5G. 5G is all the same recipe across everything. In terms of what's actually different, I mean, if you think about... I mean, we're going to get into this in the podcast, but the way I kind of think about it is 2G kind of enabled 
what I would call ubiquitous mobile voice. It meant we all had cell phones, you know, in our pockets, clamshells, the old Motorola Much razors. larger cell phones. That's right. <laughs> A lot of brick phones, the whole nine yards. 3G kind of gave us mobile data. And so that was the advent of like the BlackBerry. All of a sudden we had keyboards and the ability to get emails and texts. Uh, Unfortunately, now we work 24-7. So I don't <laughs> know if that was a good invention or a bad one. Yeah, thanks, BlackBerry. <laughs> and then 4G came along and kind of enabled mobile video, right? So that's how we actually can stream things like, you know, Netflix on our phones. I think 5G, among many of the, the applications out there, it's probably going to enable mobile compute. And that's a whole new paradigm that I think will, you know, be pretty interesting for everybody. Now, what's uh, involved with introducing this, a new technology like this? Um, new towers, new chips, uh, you know, Spectrum, for example. Yeah. I mean, what exactly goes into it? Yeah, I mean, all of the above. So basically, if you think about what's going on in the network itself, you have to upgrade all of the towers. Like you said, you have to go people have to climb up the towers and replace the base stations themselves and the antennas to use and utilize the new Spectrum that's going to be deployed for 5G. Like you said, more Spectrum bands. So right now... Most spectrum is what you would call low band spectrum, low band, low frequency. Low spectrum. frequency. Yep. Five G opens up a lot of higher and mid band spectrum. That basically means that you'll have faster and higher capacity points, but lower latency. You can utilize it in ways that that give you a lot more freedom and a lot more flexibility. And I think you're gonna also have to see our, you know, the chipsets need to change across every device that we have. So right now, basically all our phones they won't work on five G networks. They just they just won't. And so we need new five G modem technology. Uh, new 5G RF technology. It's one of the reasons we really like Qualcomm, by the way. But that is going to cause a huge upgrade cycle across all the device infrastructure as well. You you mentioned an upgrade cycle. And I think, obviously, we're on the precipice of one with 5G coming out. And uh, smartphones are going to be the area that's initially going to benefit from this. Besides smartphones, are there going to be other forms of technology that will also be impacted? I mean, is is smartphones going to be like the one to three-year play at this point? Yeah, that's most likely going to be the biggest where the biggest impact is felt. There are also applications for 5G around fixed wireless technology where you can use wireless to replace the physical fiber or coax link into your home that's providing your in-home broadband. But at this point, those deployments are pretty limited in scale. So the Verizon wireless person won't have to drill holes throughout my house going forward if you don't have the fixed wireless anymore? If it comes to our area, you'll have a little antenna on your window, and you won't have the whole, you'll, you know, modem in your home. won't be the same wiring up your entire house with the the, the physical cords or huh. into your, on digging up your street in order to get to your home. Oh, maybe I won't have to be at home from like 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. for the <laughs> Verizon guy to come. Now I could just put something on my window going forward. If only. <laughs> so talk a little bit about, from a cell phone perspective. Um, obviously, this is going to be the first area that we're going to see an upgrade cycle for. What next-gen technologies do you see further out? Maybe the mid-2020s, maybe the you know late 2020s? Yeah, sure. I mean, just hitting on what Deepon said if we think about what had occur- has occurred with the progression from 2G to 3G to 4G and the advent of the iPhone, I mean, the numbers we've seen have been staggering. With smartphone penetration since 2010 tripling, usage, individual usage on people's phones doubling. And what we've seen is really fundamental transformation in industries across payments with businesses like PayPal and Square emerging, across commerce, rise of Amazon and other platforms, and video with platforms like like Netflix. We've seen emergence of new businesses like Rideshare that never existed before. So we're all still waiting to see what the killer app is going to be on 5G. But It's not clear what that's going to be at this point since the technology is so early? So early. We believe there 
are really relevant applications for Internet of Things and autonomous vehicles. If you think about 5G adding additional capacity at the edge of wireless networks and for autonomous vehicles, you need to be able to drive not just in urban cores, but everywhere. You need really, really high high grade, low latency connections to enable that sort of technology. So those are certainly two that are on the horizon, but there's a view that there's going to be many, many more that emerge. All right. So I'm going to still be driving my car for the next five years is what you're saying? Maybe maybe 10 years from now we'll be at that point? Yes. Interesting. The situation with U.S. and and China relations. Obviously, the U.S. has, uh, you know, targeted Huawei, um, obviously cutting off some of their supplies. So it maybe hinders China's ability to be that 5G leader. What's your views on this point? I know this is a very big initiative for the White House. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, China has really made 5G a national priority. You know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, for 4G, they were several years behind the U.S. And Ch- I think China was. China was. And I think that they kind of looked at that as a disadvantage when for their larger tech companies. You know, they, they didn't have the infrastructure ready for those tech companies to innovate on, whereas the U.S. did for several years before them. And so they're, they're really incentivizing, trying to push the infrastructure companies in China to deploy 5G as quickly as possible. As possible. The U.S. has kind of been, as the U.S. always is, is, you know, it's a democracy, it's a mar- it's a free market. So it just takes more time for policy makers to really get on the same page. And we've seen, I would say, a scattershot approach. There's been holdups in terms of spectrum deployments. There's been some inconsistencies about what kind of national leaders we want. We have seen the White House kind of firm up their message, it seems like, in, in the last few weeks. Absolutely. Uh, uh, definitely trying to push back on China, especially with Huawei. We saw the T-Mobile Sprint deal get approved, which I think is going to really help 5G. Which is huge. Now you have three potential 5G players rather than two. Absolutely. And it really unlocks a lot of spectrum that Sprint was sitting on, that mid-band spectrum that we were talking about that T-Mobile can deploy and really, you know, get in the hands of consumers pretty soon. We saw the White House really push for the DOJ to support Qualcomm in in, in terms of its legal, legal issues. I just think that there's a more, the FCC uh, unlocked a lot of C-band spectrum. There's a lot of like uh, pushes from the U.S. government at this point, trying to get 5G out as soon as possible. So, so. everybody's finally rowing in the same direction. It, it seems like it. Took a while. A it did take a while. <laughs> it's like, it, I think Winston Churchill once said, like, uh, the U.S. will try every possible thing before getting the right thing, but they finally always do the right <laughs> thing. So that's how we kind of came about. Better late than never. Exactly. Well, let's like bring it back to cell phones. What advantages is you know the average user going to have with five G with smartphones? That it, you know obviously it's, it's being unveiled here in twenty twenty from a number of different carriers. I mean, is it going to you know drastically change my experience? Uh, unfortunately, probably not. <laughs> I think uh, I mean Samsung unveiled their first, I mean I guess their second generation five G phones this week, and, but it really everyone's waiting for the five G iPhone to be unveiled in September. I think that's what really gets five G started. You're also going to see Verizon, AT&T deploy 5G more widely then. But realistically, from like a consumer standpoint, you're not going to see a whole lot of difference. You'll see a little bit of a speed improvement, but it's not going to be that much that that meaningful, especially because the price points of those new phones will probably be pretty high. But so, so, so you're telling me to wait on buying my new Apple phone? Well, I mean, I think that actually you'll be – there's a lot of incentive for these carriers to get you on a 5G from their perspective because the cost to deliver 5G is a lot lower than it is to deliver 4G. And so they may be incentivized to actually get you to 5G, which means more promotions, more subsidies. So so instead of being a thousand bucks for your iPhone, maybe 700 or whatever. Exactly. And I think that's, that that could get us all to move to 5G pretty quickly. And then that kind of like, you know, we saw this with the 4G transition too. 
you know, people weren't that excited about 4G. They were like, oh, you know, no, there's no real data applications for this yet. It's slow. It's unwieldy. It doesn't work everywhere. But then, you know, 10 years on, like all of us have 4G connections. And you, you really couldn't, as Eric was pointing out, you, all of these new businesses and applications that we use today, no chance they would work on a 3G network. And so within the next five to 10 years, I think we'll see a massive explosion of new applications and use cases that we haven't even thought about yet. Now, is 5G just going to be, at, at least on the onset, available in the major metro areas, or is it going to be deployed nationwide? I mean, how, how does that generally work? Is it probably the bigger metropolitan areas that uh, will have this first? Yeah, the way they're going to deploy it is they're going to deploy it basically across every band of spectrum. But to your point, like the best performance is going to be the urban areas, uh, just because they're going to deploy it in higher band frequency actually allows for more capacity and more speed and more performance but it doesn't propagate that far, right? So in a dense area like New York, you can basically deploy that spectrum and provide a lot of speed and performance to people, like a lot of people on, on one city block. If you're in a rural area of, the, of America, you can't really use that spectrum. You have to use low band spectrum. And that means you don't get the same kind of performance or speed bumps that you would in an urban area. And they'll eventually densify over the next several years until you get that performance bump in those areas as well. But it's going to take time to get that. It'll take up. time. So what companies, you know, we've talked a little bit about 5G, what its potential impact is going to be. What companies stand to benefit the most from this transition to 5G? Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think in the near term, I think uh, Apple is probably like the most never to it. Yeah, just, I think Apple's up 91% over the last year. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a reason <laughs> you, you for think it. there's a little bit more uh, to go. I do, I do. I think that like there's going to be a big transition of users over to 5G and Apple really is the one that's going to drive that charge. And then coming to 2021, they're going to have the largest installed base of 5G users out there, and they have a lot of ways to monetize that base, right? If I think about 5G applications like virtual assistants, right? I think about augmented reality. Apple really will have a lot of ways to leverage that from both the developer ecosystem as well as from a product thing like AirPods or the Apple Watch. And I just think that's a very different and differentiated way to attack the market. So I think that's going to benefit them most materially in the near term. Yeah, once you're in that ecosystem, it's very hard really to, hard to, to leave out. it. I mean, I've been telling myself I was going to leave Apple for the last couple of years, but <laughs> here I am, and I will likely buy the new uh, 5G phone when it comes out in about a year from now. That's right. Any thoughts uh, from you, Erica, on any companies that stand to benefit in the near term from a transition to 5G or anything maybe from a longer term? Sure. So I mentioned Uber and Amazon. So Uber, we talked about the long-term benefits around autonomous driving. Uber is investing against that opportunity. Um, and their focus is trying to perfect rides for sort of the simplest routes first. If you think about a bus lane or a retirement community or a college campus where you don't have people weaving in and out of traffic, you can control the environment. And you could focus on sort of those routes first for autonomous and then potentially scale from there. So they are – they're investing as well as we see others also building out level four, level four, level five capacity for autonomous vehicles. And level four, level five means completely autonomous. I'm sitting in the back seat and, you know, my car is basically driving itself. That's how level five is defined today, yes. Interesting. Now that we know what you think is the opportunities, what areas do you think have been overhyped, in your opinion, kind of given where we are? For the internet sector, I don't think 5G has been overhyped at all. Uh, as I mentioned before, we don't really know exactly what the killer app will be. So I don't really see a lot of 
upside in the stocks already priced in for this. I think of it as a more long-term opportunity that's going to unfold. So as that opportunity unfolds, that that premium will be embedded into those winners. But we're not there at this point. Uh, There's my, no, no real disappointment. Not not at all, in my view. Yeah. In, yeah, in my space, I think there's been a lot of 5G premium put into a lot of stocks. I think the the hype right now probably exists in the infrastructure names mostly because people were kind of expecting this big 5G CapEx boom to kind of materialize. I think people are getting more aware of the fact that CapEx is actually going to be pretty stable and flattish uh, for the next several years, just as carriers kind of shift their 4G spending over to 5G. So it's not this big incremental driver necessarily. There's pockets of growth, but not necessarily a huge TAM expander for everybody. And then I think from a consumer standpoint, I think there's a lot of hype around just what the performance means, right? I think, you know, watching Super Bowl (laughs) Sunday, you would have thought, you know, 5G is going to like come into our living rooms and all of a sudden we're all going to turn a mad scientist or something. And it's just like, it's yeah, not going to happen. Like that. playing right. football in front of <laughs> exactly, us. Exactly, yeah. It's just not going to happen like that. We're, we're going to get deluged with a lot of uh, marketing in the back half of this year about how 5G is transformative and all the cool things that happen. But realistically, it's not going to be that noticeable in the near term. And so I think that is going to cause probably a lot of disappointment on the consumer side. Uh, but, you know, I still think that we'll see a smartphone upgrade cycle. We're also going to buy our 5G iPhones and then you know, in the next couple of years, I think we'll see some real uh, killer apps come out. And to your point with 4G, Uber, you know, uh, right. life-changing to me being on the road quite often. <laughs> That's right. I, I don't know how I did it going to random cities and trying to figure out where the taxi company was and <laughs> calling them and setting that up. Now you just open up your app and away you go. It's unbelievable, right? Now, Deepan, I know you recently attended the Consumer Electronics Show. And so beyond 5G, what other exciting developments are we seeing in technology today? Is it gaming, uh, displays? You know, what do you think the best investment opportunities are in this area? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Uh, I think as Eric was pointing out, autonomous driving has been something that's really hot at CES the last several years. This year, I think a lot of those autonomous startups and, and, and focus has been more on the logistics side and on the B2B side which I think is kind of new. Uh, It's no longer this huge focus on just consumer autonomous driving. To me, the thing that really stuck out was gaming. I think gaming is a real secular trend. I mean, the the stats around gaming are just incredible. It's the biggest sport in the world. That's right, exactly. I mean, you know, you look at esports where people, you know, Madison Square Garden sells out because a bunch of people want to watch you know, five gamers sitting in the middle of the court just, like, playing video games. and I don't personally get it. My son watches that all the time, but it's the new trend. It's the new trend. I think I want. I think for under 18, I think uh, video game watching is more popular than Major League Baseball, right? So demographically, there's this huge shift coming. I think 5G, actually, is to tie 5G into this, really enables things like cloud gaming because of the low latency uh, of the network. And so that will open up a whole host of applications for people to... It may not even be on our conventional smartphones. It may actually be like gaming devices that are that are connected to the, to the uh, the network. Uh, I think that's a really big trend going forward. And so that was something: uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, other forms of gaming that are very immersive. I think those are going to come out in the next several years, and we're starting to see some of that at CES. So. A lot of cool things on the gaming horizon. I got to admit, I went up to Vermont with the family vacation, and they had virtual reality for the Sony PlayStation. Uh, and that, yeah. Beat Saber, it, that was a very <laughs> fun game. It is. It's, it's pretty I can cool only technology. imagine what's going to be coming out over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, the technology is still not there from a chipset perspective, but once the performance gets up, you know, like, you're not going to have the, the nausea. You're not going to have, like, it's going to be feel very realistic and... I think that's a very, very powerful thing. And the internet connectivity, the low latency is the key to having that seamless experience. And having it everywhere, right? I mean, all of a sudden you can be, you know, in the back of your autonomous car, you know, with a VR <laughs> headset on, like immersed in your favorite, like video game experience. Like there's a, there's a lot of places this can go. And it's actually probably not 50 years away. It's probably 10 years away. That's amazing. 
Erica, what uh, other exciting opportunities uh, are you seeing in technology? Yeah, so I mean, cloud computing, I think we're very early. I listened to Andy Jassy, who runs Amazon's AWS business, speak this week at a conference, as well as Thomas Curian, who runs Google's Google Cloud business. And you hear you hear it in their commentary that we are very, very early in the transition to cloud computing, software as a service, and those applications just become more and more powerful with powerful networks. So definitely a trend to watch over the next five to 10 years. Well, great. Well, uh, I think that's all the time that we have here today. Deepon, Erica, thank you so much for joining me in the booth. Thanks thank a lot. You. It was a lot of fun. And thank you, everybody, for listening in to the latest ClearBridge podcast. And we hope you'll continue to join us throughout 2020. And again, we welcome any questions, comments, and suggestions, which you can email us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Thanks. Please note the following. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of February 13th, 2020, and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole, and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Any statistics reference have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed. Neither ClearBridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information.